Three Great Virtues, Three Essays by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Section 2, Self-Reliance, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Self-Reliance, Part 2 I suppose no man can violate his nature. All the sallies of his will are rounded in by the law of his being. As the inequalities of Andes and Himalaya are insignificant in the curve of the sphere, nor does it matter how you gauge and try him, a character is like an acrostic or Alexandrian stanza, read it forward, backward, or across, it still spells the same thing. In this pleasing, contrite wood life which God allows me, let me record day by day my honest thought without prospect or retrospect, and I cannot doubt it will be found symmetrical, though I mean it not and see it not. My book should smell of pines and resound with the hum of insects. The swallow over my window should interweave that thread or straw he carries in his bill into my web also. We pass for what we are. Character teaches above our wills. Men imagine that they communicate their virtue or vice only by overt actions, and do not see that virtue or vice emit a breath every moment. There will be an agreement in whatever variety of actions so they be each honest and natural in their hour. For of one will, the actions will be harmonious, however unlike they seem. These varieties are lost sight of at a little distance, at a little height of thought. One tendency unites them all. The voyage of a ship is a zigzag line of a hundred tacks. See the line from a sufficient distance, and it straightens itself to the average tendency. Your genuine action will explain itself, and will explain your other genuine actions. Your conformity explains nothing. Act singly, and what you have already done singly will justify you now. Greatness appeals to the future. If it can be firm enough today to do right and scorn eyes, I must have done so much right before as to defend me now. Be it how it will, do right now. Always scorn appearances, and you always may. The force of character is cumulative. All the foregone days of virtue work their health into this. 
what makes the majesty of the heroes of the senate and of the field which so fills the imagination the consciousness of a train of great days and victories behind they shed a united light on the advancing actor he is attended by a visible escort of angels that is it which throws thunder into chatham's voice and dignity into washington's port and america into adam's eye honor is venerable to us because it is no ephemera it is always ancient virtue we worship it today because it is not of today we love it and pay it homage because it is not a trap for our love and homage but is self-dependent self-derived and therefore of an old immaculate pedigree even if shown in a young person i hope in these days we have heard the last of conformity and consistency let the words be gazetted and ridiculous henceforward instead of going for dinner let us hear a whistle from the spartan fife let us never bow and apologize more a great man is coming to eat at my house i do not wish to please him i wish that he should wish to please me i will stand here for humanity and though i would make it kind i would make it true let us affront and reprimand the smooth mediocrity and squalid contentment of the times and hurl in the face of custom and trade and office the fact which is the upshot of all history that there is a great responsible thinker and actor working wherever a man works that a true man belongs to no other time or place but is the center of things where he is there is nature he measures you and all men and all events ordinarily everybody in society reminds us of somewhat else or of some other person character reality reminds you of nothing else it takes place of the whole creation the man must be so much that he must make all circumstances indifferent every true man is a cause a country and an age requires infinite spaces and numbers and time fully to accomplish his design and posterity seem to follow his steps as a train of clients a man caesar is born and for ages after we have a roman empire christ is born and millions of minds so grow and cleave to his genius that he is confounded with virtue and the possible of man 
an institution is the lengthened shadow of one man as monachism of the hermit antony the reformation of luther quakerism of fox methodism of wesley abolition of clarkson scipio milton called quote, the height of rome end quote and all history resolves itself very easily into the biography of a few stout and earnest persons. Let a man then know his worth, and keep things under his feet. Let him not peep or steal, or skulk up and down with the air of a charity boy, a bastard, or an interloper in the world which exists for him. But the man in the street, finding no worth in himself, which corresponds to the force which built a tower or sculptured a marble god, feels poor when he looks on these. To him a palace, a statue, or a costly book have an alien and forbidding air much like a gay equipage, and seem to say like that, quote, Who are you, sir? End quote. Yet they all are his suitors for his notice, petitioners to his faculties, that they will come out and take possession. The picture waits for my verdict. It is not to command me but I am to settle its claims to praise. That popular fable of the sot who was picked up dead drunk in the street, carried to the duke's house, washed and dressed and laid in the duke's bed, and on his waking, treated with all obsequious ceremony like the duke, and assured that he had been insane, owes its popularity to the fact that it symbolizes so well the state of man, who is in the world a sort of sot, but now and then wakes up, exercises his reason, and finds himself a true prince. Our reading is mendicant and sycophantic. In history our imagination plays us false kingdom and lordship, power and estate, are a gaudier vocabulary than private John and Edward in a small house and common day's work. But the things of life are the same to both. The sum total of both is the same. Why all this deference to Alfred and Scandenberg and Gustavus? Suppose they were virtuous, did they wear out virtue? As great a stake depends on your private act today as followed their public and renowned steps. When private men shall act with original views, the luster will be transferred from the actions of kings to those gentlemen. The world has been instructed by its kings, who have so magnetized the eyes of nations, 
it has been taught by this colossal symbol the mutual reverence that is due from man to man the joyful loyalty with which men have everywhere suffered the king the noble or the great proprietor to walk among them by a law of his own make his own scale of men and things and reverse theirs pay for benefits not with money but with honor and represent the law in his person was the hieroglyphic by which they obscurely signified their consciousness of their own right and comeliness the right of every man the magnetism which all original actions exerts is explained when we inquire the reason of self-trust who is the trustee what is the aboriginal self on which a universal reliance may be grounded what is the nature and power of that science baffling star without parallax without calculable elements which shoots a ray of beauty even into trivial and impure actions if the least mark of independence appear the ingenuity leads us to that source at once the essence of genius of virtue and of life which we call spontaneity or instinct we denote this primary wisdom as intuition whilst all latter teachings are tuitions in that deep force the last fact beyond which analysis cannot go all things find their common origin for the sense of being which in calm hours rises we know not how in the soul is not diverse from things from space from light from time from man but one with them and proceeds obviously from the same source whence their life and being also proceeded we first share the life by which things exist and afterward see them as appearances in nature and forget that we had shared their cause here is the fountain of action and thought here are the lungs of that inspiration which giveth man wisdom and which cannot be denied without impiety and atheism we lie in the lap of immense intelligence which makes us receivers of its truth and origins of its activity when we discern justice when we discern truth we do nothing of ourselves but allow a passage to its beams if we ask whence this comes if we seek to pry into the soul that causes all philosophy is at fault its presence or its absence is all we can affirm 
every man discriminates between the voluntary acts of his mind and his involuntary perceptions, and knows that to his involuntary perceptions a perfect faith is due. He may err in the expression of them, but he knows that these things are so, like day and night, not to be disputed. My willful actions and accusations are but roving, the idlest reverie, the faintest native emotion, command my curiosity and respect. Thoughtless people contradict as readily the statement of perceptions as of opinions, or rather much more readily, for they do not distinguish between perception and notion. They fancy that I choose to see this or that thing, but perception is not whimsical, but fatal. If I see a trait, my children will see it after me, and in course of time all mankind, although it may chance that no one has seen it before me, for my perception of it is as much a fact as the sun. The relations of the soul to the divine spirit are so pure that it is profane to seek to interpose helps. It must be that when God speaketh, he should communicate not one thing, but all things, should fill the world with his voice, should scatter forth light, nature, time, souls, from the center of the present thought, and new date and new create the whole. Whenever a mind is simple and receives a divine wisdom, old things pass away. Means, teachers, texts, temples fall. It lives now and absorbs past and future into the present hour. All things are made sacred by relation to it, one as much as another. All things are dissolved to their center by their cause, and in the universal miracle, petty and particular miracles disappear. If, therefore, a man claims to know and speak of God and carries you backward to the phraseology of some old moldered nation in another country, in another world, believe him not. Is the acorn better than the oak, which is its fullness and completion? Is the parent better than the child, into whom he has cast his ripened being? Whence then this worship of the past? The centuries are conspirators against the sanity and authority of the soul. Time and space are but physiological colors which the eye makes. But the soul is light. Where it is, is day. Where it was, is night. And history is an impertinence and an injury if it be anything more than a cheerful apology or parable 
of my being and becoming. Man is timid and apologetic. He is no longer upright. He dares not say, I think, I am, but quotes some saint or sage. He is ashamed before the blade of grass or the blowing rose. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. Before a leaf bud has burst, its whole life acts. In the full-blown flower there is no more. In the leafless root there is no less. Its nature is satisfied, and it satisfies nature in all moments alike. But man postpones or remembers. He does not live in the present, but with reverted eye laments the past, or, heedless of the riches that surround him, stands on tiptoe to foresee the future. He cannot be happy and strong until he too lives with nature in the present above time. This should be plain enough, yet see what strong intellects dare not yet hear God himself, unless he speak the phraseology of I know not what, David or Jeremiah or Paul. We shall not always set so great a price on a few texts, on a few lives. We are like children who repeat by rote the sentences of grandames and tutors, and as they grow older, of the men of talents and character they chance to see, painfully recollecting the exact words they spoke, afterwards when they come into the point of view which those had who uttered these sayings, they understand them and are willing to let the words go. For at any time they can use words as good when occasion comes. If we live truly, we shall see truly. It is as easy for the strong man to be strong as it is for the weak to be weak. We have new perception. We shall gladly disturb in the memory of its hoarded treasures and old rubbish. When a man lives with God, his voice shall be as sweet as the murmur of the brook and the rustle of the corn. And now at last the highest truth on this subject remains unsaid, probably cannot be said, for all that we say is the far-off remembering of the intuition. That thought, by what I can now nearest approach to say it, is this. When good is near you, 
when you have life in yourself, it is not by any known or accustomed way. You shall not discern the footprints of any other. You shall not see the face of man. You shall not hear any name. The way, the thought, the good shall be wholly strange and new. It shall exclude example and experience. You take the way from man, not to man. All persons that ever existed are its forgotten ministers. Fear and hope are alike beneath it. There is somewhat low even in hope. In the hour of vision there is nothing that can be called gratitude, nor properly joy. The soul raised over passion beholds identity and external causation, perceives the self-existence of truth and right, and claims itself with knowing that all things go well. Vast spaces of nature, the Atlantic Ocean, the South Sea, long intervals of time, years, centuries, are of no account. This which I think and feel underlay every former state of life and circumstances, as it does underlie my present, and what is called life, and what is called death. Life only avails, not the having lived. Power ceases in the instant of repose. It resides in the moment of transition from a past to a new state, in the shooting of the gulf, in the darting to an aim. This one fact the world hates, that the soul becomes, for that forever degrades the past, turns all riches to poverty, all reputation to a shame, confounds the saint with the rogue, shoves Jesus and Judas equally aside. Why then do we prate of self-reliance? Inasmuch as the soul is present, there will be power not confident, but agent. To talk of reliance is a poor external way of speaking. Speak rather of that which relies, because it works and is. Who has more obedience than I masters me, though he shall not raise his finger? Round him I must revolve by the gravitation of spirits, we fancy it rhetoric when we speak of eminent virtue. We do not yet see that virtue is height, and that a man or company of men, plastic and permeable to principles, by the law of nature, must overpower and ride all cities, nations, kings, rich men, poets, who are not. This is the ultimate fact which we so quickly reach on this as on every topic. The resolution of all into the ever-blessed One.
self-existence is the attribute of the supreme cause, and it constitutes the measure of good by the degree in which it enters into all lower forms. All things real are so by so much virtue as they contain. Commerce, husbandry, hunting, whaling, war, eloquence, personal weight, are somewhat, and engage my respect, as examples of its presence and impure action. I see the same law working in nature for conservation and growth. Power is, in nature, the essential measure of right. Nature suffers nothing to remain in her kingdom which cannot help itself. The genesis and maturation of a planet, its poise and orbit, the bending tree recovering itself from the strong wind, the vital resources of every animal and vegetable, are demonstrations of the self-sufficing and therefore self-relying soul. Thus all concentrates. Let us not rove. Let us sit at home with the cause. Let us stun and astonish the intruding rabble of men and books and institutions by a simple declaration of the divine fact. Bid the invaders take the shoes from off their feet for God is here within. Let our simplicity judge them, and our docility to our own law demonstrate the poverty of nature and fortune beside our native riches. But now we are a mob. Man does not stand in awe of man, nor is his genius admonished to stay at home, to put itself in communication with the internal ocean, but it goes abroad to beg a cup of water of the urns of other men. We must go alone. I like the silent church before the service begins better than any preaching. How far off, how cool, how chaste the person looks, begirt each one with a precinct or sanctuary. So let us always sit. Why should we assume the faults of our friend or wife or father or child because they sit around our hearth or are said to have the same blood? All men have my blood, and I have all men's. Not for that will I adopt their petulance or folly, even to the extent of being ashamed of it. But your isolation must not be mechanical, but spiritual. That is, must be elevation. At times the whole world seems to be in conspiracy to importune you with emphatic trifles. Friend, client, child, sickness, 
fear, want, charity, all knock at once at thy closed door and say, Come out unto us. But keep thy state, come not into their confusion. The power men possess to annoy me, I give them by a weak curiosity. No man can come near me but through my act. Quote, what we love that we have, but by desire we bereave ourselves of the love. End quote. If we cannot at once rise to the sanctities of obedience and faith, let us at least resist our temptations. Let us enter into the state of war and wake Thor and Odin. Courage and constancy in our Saxon breasts. This is to be done in our smooth times by speaking the truth. Check this lying hospitality and lying affection. Live no longer to the expectation of these deceived and deceiving people with whom we converse. Say to them, O father, O mother, O wife, O brother, O friend, I have lived with you after appearances hitherto. Henceforward I am the truths. Be it known unto you that henceforward I obey no law less than the eternal law. I will have no covenants but proximities. I shall endeavor to nourish my parents, to support my family, to be the chaste husband of my wife. But these relations I must fill after a new and unprecedented way. I appeal from your customs. I must be myself. I cannot break myself any longer for you or you. If you can love me for what I am, we shall be the happier. If you cannot, I will still seek to deserve that you should. I will not hide my tastes or aversions. I will so trust that what is deep is holy, that I will do strongly before the sun and moon whatever inly rejoices me and the heart appoints. If you are noble, I will love you. If you are not, I will not hurt you and myself by hypocritical attentions. If you are true, but not in the same truth with me, cleave to your companions. I will seek my own. I do this not selfishly, but humbly and truly. It is alike your interest, and mine, and all men's, however long we have dwelt in lies, to live in truth. Does this sound harsh today? You will soon love what is dictated by your nature as well as mine. If we follow the truth, it will bring us out safe at last. 
but so may you give these friends pain yes but i cannot sell my liberty and power to save their sensibility besides all persons have their moments of reason when they look out into the region of absolute truth then will they justify me and do the same thing the populace think that your rejection of popular standards is a rejection of all standard and mere antinomianism and the bold sensualist will use the name of philosophy to gild his crimes but the law of consciousness abides there are two confessionals in one or the other of which we must be shriven you may fulfill your round of duties by clearing yourself in the direct or the reflex way consider whether you have satisfied your relations to father mother cousin neighbor town cat and dog whether any of these can upbraid you but i may also neglect this reflex standard and absolve me to myself i have my own stern claims and perfect circle it denies the name of duty to many offices that are called duties but if i can discharge its debts it enables me to dispense with the popular code if any one imagines that this law is lax let him keep its commandment one day and truly it demands something godlike in him who has cast off the common motives of humanity and has ventured to trust himself for a taskmaster high be his heart faithful his will clear his insight that he may in good earnest be doctrine society law to himself that a simple purpose may be to him as strong as iron necessity is to others if any man consider the present aspects of what is called by distinction society he will see the need of these ethics the sinew and heart of man seem to be drawn out and we are become timorous desponding whimperers we are afraid of truth afraid of fortune afraid of death and afraid of each other our age yields no great and perfect persons we want men and women who shall renovate life and our social state but we see that most natures are insolvent cannot satisfy their own wants have an ambition out of all proportion to their practical force and do lean and beg day and night continually our housekeeping is mendicant 
our arts, our occupations, our marriages, our religion, we have not chosen, but society has chosen for us. We are parlor soldiers. We shun the rugged battle of fate where strength is born. If our young men miscarry in their first enterprises, they lose all heart. If the young merchant fails, men say he is ruined. If the finest genius studies at one of our colleges and is not installed in an office within one year afterwards in the cities or suburbs of Boston or New York, it seems to his friends and to himself that he is right in being disheartened and in complaining the rest of his life. A sturdy lad from New Hampshire or Vermont, who in turn tries all the professions, who teams it, farms it, peddles, keeps a school, preaches, edits a newspaper, goes to Congress, buys a township, and so forth in successive years, and always like a cat, falls on his feet, is worth a hundred of these city dolls. He walks abreast with his days, and feels no shame in not studying a profession, for he does not postpone his life, but lives already. He is not one chance, but a hundred chances. Let a stoic open the resources of man, and tell men they are not leaning willows, but can and must detach themselves, that with the exercise of self-trust new powers shall appear, that a man is the word made flesh born to shed healing to the nations, that he should be ashamed of our compassion, and that the moment he acts for himself, tossing the laws, the books, idolatries, and custom out of the window, we pity him no more, but thank and revere him and that teacher shall restore the life of man to splendor and make his name dear to all history. It is easy to see that a greater self-reliance must work a revolution in all the offices and relations of men, in their religion, in their education, in their pursuits, their modes of living, their association, in their property, in their speculative views. End of Self-Reliance Part 2 Recording by Robert Scott MojoMove411.com M-O-J-O-M-O-V-E 411.com August the 9th, 2007